1: bountiful, beloved immortal beings and good looking people and remember you're good looking because you're always looking for and finding the good and we have found good and abundance you have consciously and conscientiously tuned in to. The joy of living with your humble host, Barry Shore, B-A-R-R-Y-S-H-O-R-E, headquartered here in Venice Beach, California, overlooking the vast Pacific Ocean, and brought to you on this magical, mystical, mythical platform called Internet Radio, hosted by K4HD.com. And you have tuned in today consciously, conscientiously, for one reason only. And it's the best reason, because you care the most about you. Y O U E W E U. you. Because when you care the most about you, you want to be the best you possible, you help create the kind of world we all want to live in. Because when we're all striving forward to live in joy daily, then we make the world a better place. And you are an important component in making the world a better place. That's why you tuned in, because you know that we have some of the most articulate, the most inspiring, the most remarkable human beings on earth on this show and I can guarantee that today today that will be fulfilled I hesitate to say the word in spades, but it will be. (laughs) Those of you understand what I mean when I say hesitate. But you are now joined worldwide by another 271,317 people around the world who religiously tune into this show. Because they care about themselves. You care about you, and that's great. The name of the show is The Joy of Living. And we work here with three simple fundamentals of life. And they are number one, life. Your life has purpose. And the corollary, of the result of that, if your life has purpose, you can go mad. Now, in this case, MAD is a great acronym, it stands for Make a Difference. Because when your life is purposeful, you can now live by making a difference in the world. One of the easiest and best and most fun ways of doing that is by uncovering the secrets and the power of everyday words and terms. Yes, everyday words and terms. Example, simple example, WWW. If you ask anybody, what does WW stand for? They'll tell you invariably, well, it has something to do with internet. Absolutely, factually speaking, that's correct. But in our world, the world of the positive, purposeful, powerful, and pleasant, WWW stands for drum roll, fanfare, da da-da! What a wonderful world! And what a is a word, W-H-A-T-A, what a wonderful world! And a big tip of the hat, and a... A big smile on our face for wonderful Louis Armstrong, Sachmo, for enabling that song to go viral and touch hundreds of millions, if not billions of people around the planet. And whenever you hear the, even the opening bars of that amazing song, what a wonderful world, right away you have a smile on your face. And SMILE is one of the most useful, positive, par- purposeful, powerful, pleasant acronyms you'll ever learn. Because SMILE stands for seeing miracles in life every day that's what a smile is seeing miracles in life every day now invariably and right now I have eight nine ten questions up on the board they're all the same whether I speak to 50 people or 5,000 here's the regular question Mr. Shaw I've been up for hours already haven't seen any miracles and I ask are you here Can you hear? Can you see? Do you have water to drink? Do you have food to eat? Do you have a place to sleep? Do you have family? Do you have friends? Those are all miraculous. Think about it. Millions of people did not get out of bed this morning. A million-plus people did not get out of bed because they died. You didn't die. You're here. You're alive. If you're alive, you can live in joy. You're alive. That's a miraculous event. But there's another million-plus people around the world, especially right now with the pandemic raging, that can't get out of bed. They can't get out of bed. You did. Now, your humble host, most people know this. We have about 230,000, 240,000 people that tune in every week. And invariably another 30,000, 40,000 joining because they heard about the joy of living with your humble host, Barry Shore. And this show is all about you. So they tune in. Now, most of you know the backstory, but I'll just tell you very quickly. I am one of those people that couldn't get out of bed. On September 17, 2004, a mere, what, 15, almost six, 15 and a half years ago, I was standing up the morning, like I hope 99.99% of everybody listening, hale and hearty, able to leave tall buildings in a single bound, and in the evening, I was in the hospital, paralyzed from my neck down. I became what's called a quadriplegic. Nothing on my body moved. All I could do was move my mouth, just like now. But even that was compromised. I could barely speak paralyzed. It took me years to be able to get out of bed. And even now it takes me 10 minutes to get out of bed in the morning. But do I see miracles in life every day? Do you hear my voice and my positive, purposeful, powerful, and pleasant? Absolutely. But I have to share with you a couple weeks ago, my wonderful eight-year-old niece comes over to me and says, Uncle Barry, can we spell smile S-M-I-E-L? And I thought about it, I said, smile, smile, why not? And I asked her why. She says, because then it will stand for seeing miracles in everyday life. Out <laughs> of the mouth of babes, isn't it wonderful? But when you hear that, you say, wow, that's great. And wow is a wonderful acronym that stands for words of wisdom or words of wonder, which you're going to be hearing in abundance in just a few minutes from our amazing guest. In the meantime, what you want to do is you want to be able to create The kind of world that you want to live in, a world that's filled with joy, happiness, peace, and love. And CREATE is a wonderful acronym. It stands for Causing Rethinking, Enabling All to Excel. Causing Rethinking, because we all have a brain, you have 50 billion brain cells, and a trillion synapses connecting them. And your brain is there for more than just deciding what kind of latte you want this morning creating, causing, rethinking, enabling all to excel. Now, speaking about excelling, I do have to interrupt and tell you that your humble host does use four-letter words. I use them frequency, frequently, and I even like using the F-U word, and I do that for the shock value. But I love using f four-letter words, such as life, give, grow, free, help, hope, and we all certainly need that in this time, don't we? Now, I'm going to share with you and ask you, if you learn to say the following two words consciously and conscientiously at least three times a day from this day forward for the rest of your life, you will help a lot in creating the kind of world of harmony and peace that we all want to live in. Those two words are drumroll, fanfare, da da da. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank is a wonderful acronym that stands for to harmonize and network kindness, to harmonize and network kindness. I've read and and heard the Dalai Lama say that this great phrase, be kind whenever possible. And it's always possible. (laughs) Now, just imagine you're going to your fancy uh, coffee shop, you order your fancy latte for $5.25 and someone brings it to you. You say, thank you. You go into the coffee shop and you wait a couple of minutes, nobody brings it to you. you. Go to the counter, you say, Oh, I'm sorry, we forgot, and we'll bring it to you. They bring it to you, same voice, thank you. You're walking out of the coffee shop and it's raining out, somebody holds the door up for you, thank you. You're walking out of the coffee shop Some and it's raining out, somebody slams the door on you, thank you. You're on your way to a meeting and you're a little bit late and somebody cuts you off from the freeway, thank you. You get up in the middle of the line, you stub your toe and it hurts. You say, thank you. Think, thank. Think to harness insightful neural connections. Thank to harmonize a network. Kindness, kindness. I can't think of someone that represents to me a more kind, giving, considerate, knowledgeable being. Then the person I'm going to choose right now, a person I've actually had the pleasure of knowing for a few decades. And without further ado, without any fanfare or drumroll, we're going to ask Michael Medved, that's M-E-D, V as in victory, E-D, Medved, to come and say a big hello to 271,317 people around the world. Michael, are you there?
0: Well, especially, yes, for those extra 17, I'm there, and, and for the rest of them, too. Big Hello! (laughs)
1: And when he says hello, he doesn't just mean hello, he is the essence of hello, because Michael, for anybody on the planet who doesn't know, and I think there may be two or three people lurking out there who've just been living under a rock for the past 20, 30 years. Michael Medved is um, a polymath. Now, for those of you who don't know, just look it up. He's he's capable in many different disciplines, and he excels in them all. Uh, he's a host of a radio show. He does a great podcast. His uh, site is Medved dot com and by the way anything that we say today about books and 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 remembering a particular sites and such you don't have to write it down don't worry about it just listen lean in and enjoy because everything everything is going to be found at www, remember what that stands for, what a wonderful world, barryshore.com, B-A-R-R-Y-S-H-O-R-E. It's all there. Just lean in or lean back and let it just flow over you because you're going to have, wow, this is words of wisdom, words of wonder from this amazing being who, in addition to everything I just told you, is the author of 14 nonfiction books, many bestsellers. Uh, We're going to speak a lot about his current book, which is called God's hand on America, divine providence in the modern era. Uh, he's a member of USA Today's Board of Contributors. He's a, a former chief film critic for New York Post. He was on uh, a PBS show for a decade called Sneak Previews. He graduated from Yale, uh, Department of, of uh, Honors and History. And he lives in a majestic island place in the Seattle area with this wondrous, amazing just fantastic wife, um, and some of his kids and grandkids. And this is a, um, a truly wonderful being. But everything aside, all that data I just gave you, here's the most important thing. He's a fine human being. Okay, with all that set up, wonderful. Michael, uh, welcome. Let's just jump right in and start talking about the book, and especially in light of what's going on today. But let's focus on the book and a few stories, and then we'll gradually speak about the pandemic and how, what it means for our amazing, wonderful country. Again, the book's name is God's Hand on America. And I don't mean that in the negative, I mean in the positive. Divine Providence in the Modern Era. Where would you like to begin?
0: Well, I'd begin at the beginning, which is uh, actually... America, from the very first settlers who created permanent settlements here at Jamestown and, of course, the pilgrims at Plymouth, uh, believed that they were doing God's work, that they had a higher purpose. Uh, they weren't uh, just coming because of a spectacular landscape. It was a spectacular landscape, and but they faced great hardships, and they did so with the idea that they were fulfilling the divine will. And one of the fascinating things about America is even in times of trouble, uh, our, our greatest leaders, our greatest thinkers, our greatest artists have tried to figure out, okay, what is the message that a higher power is sending us? Because I, I've never forgotten this, Barry, is that when, when I was uh, 16... I, uh, for the very first time, read a book that really changed my life and has helped orient my life, I think, in the right way, which is that book that everybody talks about, but most people don't bother reading. And I'm not talking about the Bible, because people actually read that. It's almost as long as the Bible. uh, War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. And one of the questions that Leo Tolstoy asked in that book is, he writes about this war between France and Russia when Napoleon invaded Russia. And of course, we all know that he lost to General Winter. But but to also ask a question how is it that there were over 600,000 human beings who left their wives and children and marched along over this crazy guy who wanted to march over a thousand miles to the east? where a bunch of these 600,000 people ended up getting killed. How did that happen? How did he command those people to do that? And what he talks about is something that Hegel talks about, which is something that I think anybody who thinks about it for more than a moment understands, is history is not just a few great men playing dice. There is such a thing as a will in history. And as Otto von Bismarck, the Iron Chancellor of Germany, once said, that it is the job of any statesman to listen for God's footsteps in history and then to grab his cloak and hang on. And that's what we need from our leaders, and that's what I try to provide. Looking back on American history in a sequence of books, the first one is called The American Miracle, and the second one, the one we're talking about, brand newly released a couple of months ago, is God's Hand on America.
1: So let's talk about God's Hand on America for the moment. And I want to challenge you with something uh, because it's it really hurts me, I must say it like that, uh, because in today's environment, we're talking today, 2020, 21st century, two decades in. And there is a major publication, that is touting Jamestown not as the beginning of something great, but as a, um, how should we say it, the continuation of something despicable and evil. And how did that kind of thinking work its way, warm its way into our remarkable republic, which, as you position it, was
0: founded on a higher purpose? Well, this is this you're talking about the 1619 project. The actual right. truth is Jamestown was founded in 1607. 1619, uh, uh, twelve years after its founding, was the first year that a boatload of Africans, who by the way weren't slaves in the way we later understood it, they were indentured servants, like a lot of the people who came to Jamestown were, and they worked alongside white people initially. The the history is much more complicated than the idea that, oh, slavery began here. And you said it very well, Barry, that uh, slavery has been part of uh, humankind forever. We're right now in the middle of the eight-day Jewish festival of Passover, which is all about escaping from slavery. And slavery is evil, but the idea that America was built on slavery is absurd and wrong. And the best example of that would be that if you look at the parts of the country that were most prosperous, that contributed the most to the American economy, that contributed uh, the most to uh, building up American industry, to, to making this the wealthy, powerful country that it is, they were parts of the country where slavery was banned, where it was gotten rid of, where it went away. And the Founding Fathers were not all slave owners and slave drivers. Most of them, including some of the people who inherited slaves from their parents, most of them, and and John John Adams was always opposed to slavery. So was Alexander Hamilton. Uh, So was Benjamin Franklin. He helped to found one of the earliest anti-slavery societies in the world. So the idea that the United States was based on slavery is, is simply wrong. The United States was one of those countries, along with the mother country, Great Britain, uh, that helped to rid the world of slavery, which is, by the way, one of those things where uh, people who deny that there's such a thing as a will of history, a divine will in history, uh, how is it that between the years 1807 and 1881, the entire world, except for little corners of the Islamic world, But the entire rest of the world got rid of the institution of slavery where it had been ubiquitous and universal before.
1: And in my humble opinion, that was driven by people who were not just Bible readers, but Bible believers, um, meaning Bible, meaning the existence of a creator and therefore a divine will. I want to read a quote, though, that um, you were involved with in a book. Uh, one of your earliest uh, contributions to uh, our literature. And again, Michael's written more than 14 books and, and hundreds of articles. And it just, it's such a pleasure to be speaking with this amazing being. But he was a contributor to a book called The People's Almanac. Uh, published in 1975, which, by the way, Michael, I still have, well-thumbed, and it's just wonderful. But the the frontispiece of this particular book has a quote from Jean de la Briere, uh, French, if you didn't get my accent. And the quote is wonderful because I think it's exactly what you're putting forth here. The quote reads, the exact contrary of what is generally believed is often the truth. So I'd like you to use that as a jumping-off point to uh, maybe give us some real some stories from your latest book that it really shows that that what people think again you just articulated so brilliantly about slavery and such what people think is really not usually the truth that's why we need a books by you
0: give us an well, example one one example would be the. Um, the idea that uh, the, this the whole story of franklin roosevelt who plays a very big uh, role in two chapters in my book and franklin roosevelt was far from a perfect individual either his political ideas or his personal behavior but he is someone who understood his role in in american history and by the way who who pre echoed uh, Martin Luther King is famous for saying "The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice uh, Roosevelt, in his fourth inaugural address, and he was elected for four terms as president, uh talks about uh, America moving ever upward and civilization moving ever upward and It was something that that he believed in, and what I was going to say, something that is is um generally believed, is that uh, Franklin Roosevelt overcame this devastating polio that paralyzed him from the waist down. And this was at the height of his career. He had just been the Democratic nominee for vice president of the United States in 1920. And a lot of people don't know that. He was on a ticket with a guy named James Cox. They lost to Harding and Coolidge. And Roosevelt had, was young. He was in his 30s. He had been nominated for vice president. He was a cousin of the previous very popular president, Theodore Roosevelt. And all of a sudden, for reasons that are tough to understand, he, he suffers paralysis. And uh, a lot of people think, well, this uh, devastated him. It actually made him who he became. And what's fascinating is the number of people who talked about it not only changed him as a person, but it changed his political prospects. And it actually took attention away from a scandal that was literally threatening to ruin his political career. And it was one that he really had almost nothing to do with when he had been Assistant Secretary of the Navy. And. Because that scandal hit the newspaper literally two days before he suffered his attack of poliomyelitis and lost the use of his legs and uh, nearly died, Uh, there was almost a purpose to his suffering. And one of the things uh, that—and it's very appropriate for the people who are suffering under this uh, uh, COVID-19 devastation that we all are experiencing— is that sometimes uh, painful, difficult experiences are meant for our benefit. That was the case with FDR, and uh, that has been the case with a a lot of the hardships that America has undergone.
1: Let me uh, echo something here um, on a very personal note and then go to uh, another uh, chapter or so in the book. Um, when I mention about my paralysis and such, it uh, the the specific term is called Guillain-Barré syndrome, but it's also known as French polio. And um, so I I empathize uh, much when you talk about polio and paralysis and such like that and thank god i'm able to be vertical and ambulatory today albeit with the help of a six and a half foot walking wand and so i'm a tripod but i still have help 12 hours a day seven days a week i can't walk up a stair or a curb by myself and um, i was in bed two years i couldn't turn over by myself but i can say that it was this experience, and that I'm still living with, that uh, helped mold me and hopefully make me a, a better being because of it. So it is really important when you say purpose and suffering. And again, we talk about biblical overtones when we you read often in the um, in the the chapters in uh, Psalms and such about King David mentioning this kind of, of issue. And I think it's very specific, by the way, to the the, the process that we call the United States of America, because the United States of America is not just a geographic situation, it is an idea, an ideal, it is, as Ronald Reagan said, the, the light on the hill, which again, another biblical reference, but the point of it is that we are a hardy folk that understand that the, the hand of God is there for our benefit and whatever guys it may come in. So if you'd be so kind enough, can you mention another person or, or event in the book that sort of would, would speak to that kind of idea?
0: Well, a, 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 the, the just continuing with the story of Franklin Roosevelt, one of the things that most people don't know, which to me is one of the most fascinating and compelling stories in the book, is how close, close we came to not, Having four terms of Franklin Roosevelt, he he only served 82 days of his fourth term, by the way, before he died of a cerebral hemorrhage. But before that, uh, two weeks before his inauguration in 1933, he had just been elected president, despite the fact that he could not stand up by himself. He had to have his son, Jimmy, uh, who would lift him up, and then he would lock his braces. His braces weighed 16 pounds and he would have to drag his um, his legs forward uh, with the help of his son, Jimmy, even to walk to a podium. But he was um, uh, returning from a vacation that he had taken. He had won the election against Herbert Hoover. The America was beset by depression, and banks were going under, people were losing life savings. We had actually a, a an unemployment rate that I'm... I hate to say it, but it's comparable to what we're experiencing right now, was close to 20% of Americans were out of work. And yet there it was much worse. We didn't have any kind of social safety net, really, that had been set up. And uh, FDR had gone with friends from Harvard on a shipping trip in the Caribbean. And on the way back, he agreed to speak to an American Legion convention in uh, Biscayne Park in Miami. And uh, he drove there in a convertible. And, of course, he's immobile. So he gives his brief speech uh, on uh, uh, a, an evening in uh, in February in Miami. The, the inauguration date at that time was March 4th. And... Uh, After he is done, an anarchist named Giuseppe Zangara shot at him from a distance of at most 20 feet, and he took five shots, and those shots just barely missed. One of them hit Tony Cermak, who was the mayor of Chicago, who died, and uh, Zangara uh, had had meant to kill the president of the United States. This is so decisive and eventful because we've never had anything like this. What happens if a president of the United States, who's president elect, but not president yet, he hadn't been inaugurated, if he dies? And the answer is they had just changed the Constitution sixteen days before. Oh. Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought.
1: Everybody's on the edge of the seats. So I have to get them off. Make sure you don't fall. People we will be right back after this brief message because that's a cliffhanger and there's nobody better at telling these stories than Michael Medved. We'll be right back after this brief message. Oh, hello, everybody. Guess what? Stress kills that's right. We everybody knows it. Stress S T R E S S Stress Kills But what do you do about it? joy heals J-O-Y heals joy makes you feel better it allows you to reduce mitigate maybe even eliminate stress and how do you do that? The best way you can is go to barryshore.com B-A-R-R-Y-S-H-O-R-E barryshore.com take the free stress test find out what color is your stress and then learn how to reduce mitigate even eliminate it with the 11 Strategies for Living in Joy daily. It's free, absolutely free. Go to barryshore.com. Do it now. Good day, beautiful, bountiful, beloved immortal beings and good-looking people. Remember, you're good-looking because you're always looking for and finding the good, and we have good in abundance. Our cup runneth over with good. It's in a person. His name is Michael Medved, M-E-D, V as in victory, E-D, and he's relating stories to us from his latest book called God's Hand on America divine providence in the modern era. And we are just at a tipping point in American history. The constitution has just been changed. The presumptive, no, the president elect has just been shot at five times, but nobody, he didn't die, other people did. And yet what would happen if he had? Michael was about to tell us, please continue the story of the greatest nation on God's green earth to quote okay. somebody i know what
0: what would have happened what did happen which was remarkable was that episode convinced america and uh, i quote in my book um, letters that president roosevelt received that that god had protected him because again uh... it, it he he could not move he couldn't duck because he was sitting in the backseat of an open convertible Zangar was standing on, on a chair shooting at him. By the way, Zangar was executed uh, literally six weeks later. And uh, there was, they did not waste time at, at that point. And he was executed not because he had attempted to kill Roosevelt, but because he had killed the mayor of, of Chicago, Tony Chermack. Anyway, the, 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 the point being that when Roosevelt got up and said to the country, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Famous words. He had just lived down with courage and grace and aplomb the fear of having bullets whizzing past him, shot at very close range. And by by the way, this is such a key turning point in American history, in human history, is uh, Philip K. Dick, who wrote that book, The Man in the High Tower, which became a very popular TV series. The entire story, which has the Germans and the Japanese winning World War II, is based on an alternate reality where Zangara doesn't miss. He kills Roosevelt. And the president of the United States becomes the vice president-elect, whose name was John Nance Garner, known as Cactus Jack of Texas who was a segregationist. He was an isolationist. There is not a chance in the world that World War II would have worked out the way it did. And what's fascinating to me, and and again, this is something I didn't know until I started researching God's Hand on America, is that within 14 months, 14 months before Roosevelt was spared this near-death experience, Who's the other guy? And I'd ask you immediately. The two people who were most responsible for the good guys winning World War II against the forces of monstrous evil. Who's the other good guy? Winston Churchill. Absolutely right. And Winston Churchill on American soil on December 21st of 1932, uh, pardon me, of 31, 14 months away from when roosevelt was shot at had been run down crossing fifth avenue and right. <laughs> the car wheels had had come as he put it they had come within inches of squashing his head like an egg and churchill at the time was not prime minister he was in his wilderness years it was an, an inconceivable that he'd ever become prime minister because he was in very much in the outs in british politics and, and he wrote about it. He said, I have no idea why my head wasn't squashed like an egg and my life ended in the great gar- darkness engulfing me at that moment. He was 10 days in the hospital recovering. And, again, two people spared and spared for a purpose, which is to save the world, basically. And well, well
1: without the sorry. two
0: of them, it's a very, very different world. In a very different world. And let's
1: let's speak about a couple other things. First of all, there's that great quote you talk about courage. Great quote from uh, Hemingway. Three words he says about courage: grace under pressure, which is what both uh, FDR and Winston Churchill exhibited because that was the essence of their beings. I just want to make mention to everybody: if you start reading about Michael and Michael's life and and his other books and such, you'll find that Michael was present when rfk robert kennedy who was could have most likely would have been president was assassinated
0: michael wasn't more than what
1: a hundred feet away or maybe no, i
0: was i i i was less than a hundred feet away because i was right in front of the podium and he had just walked back from the podium and in into the kitchen and you could hear um uh, the screaming uh, you could hear some of the, the gunshots, which sounded, did sound like balloons popping, but uh, then you could hear the screening. That's the last chapter of my book, because John Updike, the late novelist, said after RFK's assassination, uh, I now know that God has withdrawn his special blessing from America. Now that was June, and, and that's why I wanted to mention
1: it. You don't agree with that. That's the part of the point here: is that that is not how you vision envision how we've come from that time, nineteen sixty-eight, RFK, and um, and um, I'm sorry, my my Martin Luther King, and, and the uprising and such. You don't hold by that particular viewpoint.
0: No, of course not. Because right. look at what look at what has happened since that time. Uh, first of all, we won the Cold War. And I think ultimately, if you want to look at the number of victims, um, the, the the victims of communism uh, in, in, throughout Europe and Asia and throughout the world are at least 100 million, very conservatively. Uh, 25 million in the Soviet Union, they estimate another se- 70 million in communist China, and this monstrous evil, uh, the organized force of world communism, and I'm not saying communist regimes still don't exist and they're still scary. They exist in uh, Cuba. They exist in uh, North Vietnam. Uh, they exist in North Korea and they exist in China. But that's different from the entire Eastern Europe and the old Soviet Union being what, what President Reagan rightly called an evil empire. We won that war. And it was a long, as John Kennedy said, a long twilight struggle. Aside from that, one of the things that frustrates me a lot, and I wrote about this in a previous book called The Ten Big Lies About America, is the idea that Americans are worse off than we were in 1968. Impossible. (laughs) Of course, it's unthinkable. Impossible. Do Do you know what percentage of Americans... Uh, ever attended college in 1968? I would it was think less probably than less than 20 percent of adult. It was less than five percent of adult Americans had a four-year college degree. Right. It's just an unbelievable thing. And today, uh, it's close to 40 percent. It's over a third. And look, we have different choices. Not that going to college is always the best thing. And it's not the best thing for everybody. But the the point is that. The lives that Americans lead today were unthinkable for our parents and grandparents, and especially for our grandparents. My grandfather was a barrel maker and never went to school of any kind. And uh, it's uh, the, the progress that this nation has made, and progress for the whole world. And
1: yet, I'm sorry you- let me interrupt you let me interrupt you for a moment because I know some inside baseball stuff let's go back to your grandfather your grandfather was what we used to call the cooper Smiths because uh, that's what he did he was a barrel maker but your father <laughs> everybody has to hear this your father was what we'll call a rocket scientist from and that's the genius of America, of this remarkable land of opportunity, and his children, his four sons, are all Ex- uh, excelling in their own areas. That's the beauty of what we have here. The ability of opportunity, which is what you do not find in any kind of dictatorial uh, dictatorial regime, whether it be communist or autocratic or socialist, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't exist anywhere else on earth unless you have and, and it, this it, kind. And it's
0: one of those things that, and this my grandfather, my grandfather really very much exemplified is uh, Barry, I don't know if you, you know the story of m- my father's birth, but <laughs> it's it, it, it's it's really an extraordinary thing because um, my my dad's parents, my my uh, grandmother and my grandfather, were separated as people were in an immigrant generation. My my grandfather initially came to America in 1910, and he had six children. And he was very eager to bring those children and his wife uh, over to the United States. And he worked for four years, and eventually he saved enough to pay for passage for all six children and his father-in-law and my grandmother. And they all headed out to uh, Bremen they were going to to sail on this boat. And they uh, left in August of 1914. By the time they got to the Russian border, they were coming from Ukraine. By the time they got to the border, World War I had broken out. Mm-hmm. And they weren't allowed passage. So they were stuck in Russia for the four years of World War I, and then for three years of Russian Civil War after that, because they had the Revolution and the Civil War. In any event... Of the six children of my grandparents, only one survived, my Uncle Moish, and the oldest. He was 21 years older than my, my father. Now, how did my father come about? My my grandparents had been separated for 14 years. They hadn't seen each other. And, and finally, my grandmother made it over in 1924, and uh, she arrived... And unfortunately, shortly after she arrived with her grown son, my uncle Moish was 21. Uh, after she arrived, she got very, very sick. And she couldn't keep food down, and she didn't know what it was. Uh, she was convinced it was a tumor. And uh, her her neighbors and my grandfather said, you have to see a doctor, you have to see a doctor. She went to see a doctor. It was also a relative. And uh, he examined her, and he told her to sit down. He said, "Well, I have some news for you." And she started crying, and she said, "It's a tumor, right?" She said, "No, it's it's not a tumor. A tumor. It's a baby."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, there are crazies out there that call babies tumors today, but we won't go there.
0: Right. And and she said, "No, no, it's not possible. I'm 49 years old. I haven't." Uh, I'm much too old and I, I'm not in the way of women anymore and uh, so uh, the, the doctor said well but your name is Sarah isn't it <laughs> and, and that baby was my dad that baby was my father who then ended up winning competitive scholarships and a PhD in physics and master's degrees in physics and chemistry and uh, and and having this amazing life, but my dad was 21 years older, he was 21 years younger than his brother Moish. My grandfather was 50 when my dad was born. His mother was 49. It's a ridiculous story, but it's a yeah, story, it's story of a new great. life in America. It's the vintage American story. It's why this our country. America is the kingdom of kindness. It's they say in, in, in Yiddish or Hebrew, it's the Malchus shel chesed. And it really is, and, and I'm eternally grateful for it. Let's talk about the
1: kingdom of kindness. We only have a few minutes left. This time goes by so fast. Uh, we have situation in our world today. We have a situation in our country today. It's a pandemic. A pandemic, in my humble opinion, is two words together panic and epidemic, and people are panicking maybe more than they need to. I think you've written about that. Let's talk quickly about the article that you wrote for The Wall Street Journal about the boomer generation, which is you, myself, and um, tens of millions of others, uh, as sort of a bursting of a bubble, if you will. But we only have about two minutes left. Can you just encapsulate for us what that article was about and what kind of result do you see from it?
0: Sure. Baby boomers have, have always had this tremendous sense that we needed to be the centers of attention, commanding everything. We were in charge because there's so many of us. We were a big bulge in the population so that uh, the word teenagers were invented when we were teenagers. And all of a sudden, when there were hippies, it was when we were hippies. And when there were yuppies, it was when we were yuppies. And now all of a sudden we have all these aging candidates who are running, who are, uh, well, Biden is a pre-boomer, but, but uh, Trump, who graduated from high school in 1964, is a uh, classic baby boomer. Uh, the the point is, this pandemic seems to be sending a message, which is, you know what, you're not as cool and all-powerful as you used to be, because it's precisely those older baby boomers, people like you and me, Barry, who were the targets of uh, and most vulnerable to this pandemic. I think that uh, we are going to come out of this as a country stronger than we've ever been. I I truly believe that.
1: Let's focus on those words, because that is the message of Michael Medved. I'm going to ask you, you have 80 seconds to do
0: this. You ready? Yep. What is your most fervent desire in 80 seconds? My most fervent desire is for Americans to discover those things that matter and those things that matter most and those are the things that you can discover right at home it's it's one of those whole ideas the whole idea of a sabbath is to gain perspective we are right now having a national sabbath we're not we're not working we're not producing we're not competing but we are i hope gaining perspective
1: let's use counts. let's focus on that p word because as a uh, going back to our beginning, we said here that three fundamentals in this show. The show is the joy of living. If you ever missed a moment of the show, you didn't want to do that. You can listen to it again whenever you want. Go to BarryShore.com and you want to share this with at least five people. i have like a million people to hear this because this is fundamentally important to your life. Life. Remember, we work with three fundamentals. Number one, life. Your life has purpose. As a result of that, you can go mad. Mad means go make a difference. www think, what a wonderful world, and work with the four Ps, and and Michael just added a fifth, positive, purposeful, powerful, pleasant, and with perspective, and smile, see miracles in life every day, or as my eight-year-old niece would say, see miracles in everyday life, create the kind of world you want to live in, create, cause, rethinking, enabling all to excel, and commit consciously and conscientiously to say these two words three times a day for the rest of your life thank you thank you thank you to harmonize and network kindness use four letter words a lot live life grow hope holy free That's what it means to be an American. And I trust that you enjoyed every moment of this show as much as I did. This is one of the greatest episodes we've ever had. Michael, I'm going to do something a little bit odd, but I'm going to do it anyway because we're doing physical distancing, not social distancing, physical distancing. But I'm going to envelop you in a big hug in front of 271,317 people. Are you ready, sir? I am ready. One, two, three. two words to say to you, Barry. Thank you. (laughs) Best wishes to wonderful Diane and for all of you out there. We thank you for being here, for absorbing this remarkable wow, these words of wisdom, these words of wonder and we have a blessing to give to you. Go forth. Live the blessing of life. Spread the seeds of joy, happiness, peace and
0: love.
1: Go mad, go make a difference.